A reading from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The passage that Tracy just read marks the part of the story that we are in that we call Palm Sunday. Um, Palm Sunday marks the start of what is also called throughout the church Holy Week. And we are on week six of this moving toward the events of the cross and then Easter, what we have been calling a journey to the cross. And, and this is the week right here, Holy Week, is the week that catapults Jesus to the cross. This is the final week and the 40 days of Lent. And so this morning, rather than giving just a straight-up sermon about Palm Sunday, what I want to do is something a little bit different, and I want us to uh, engage in the story. So I'm try I tried to find some ways for us to engage in this story, in fact, even to find ourselves in this story, in ways that we can relate to the journey of the cross. And in this 40-day journey toward Lent, um, the question that I really want us to keep coming back to and centering in on is will we stay with him? Will we stay with Jesus in this part of the story? On this final week of the journey to the cross, can we find ourselves in this part of the story? And so what I'll do is invite us to press into some questions and engage in the story. And I'll invite you to do that here, but the handout that's in your bulletin is really a tool for you to take with you this week through Holy Week to continue to come back to as you read uh, maybe even some of the scripture and stories around it. So today's Palm Sunday, I think some of us that have grown up in the church can get real familiarized with this story that, like me anyway, um, you can easily lose the actual meaning of the real story of what was actually going on. And, and personally, I've kind of, you know, like the traditional celebration in church of Palm Sunday where the kids come through the building, we wave palms, do a little parade, but, but it hit me not that long ago that I, I can't love my church traditions and my comfort zone that, you know, we've always done it this way. Um, I can't love that more than I love helping us engage in seeing the gospel with fresh eyes and in doing so, maybe inviting us to see from different perspectives, which I think will help us to connect with the story of God in, in new ways. So rather than waving palms this year, I want us to find ourselves in this story and connecting our hearts to this story and, and really um, to, the experience, uh, to the experiencing of God in this Holy Week story. See, this is an ancient story. Many of us, again, grew up in some tr church traditions or Sunday school where, you know, we all wave the palm branches or do the, the little parade. But, 
The danger with growing up in that tradition or growing up with any tradition like that is sometimes, sometimes, not always, but for some of us, that familiarity can actually make it seem kind of distant. Like, oh yeah, that's just a story. I know that story. Um, Also, the fact that this event happened over 2,000 years ago, it can make it seem ancient. And so when something seems ancient, it's easier to see it as a, in, in, in the distance and not really go, oh, I can find myself, I can connect to and relate with the story. But it's really not that hard to enter into this story. It's, I don't think it's that hard for us to see ourselves in the story, connecting our lives to the events of Holy Week. Um, I think there's some ways that we can relate. Uh, for instance, um, like in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you know the story, at Jesus' darkest hour, right before he's betrayed, his time of greatest need, he simply asked his disciples, will you stay with me? Will you stay awake with me and, and, and pray? But they couldn't. They couldn't. Not because they were evil, not because they were bad, but, but like you and like me, the, the spirit was willing, the flesh was weak. So have you ever been there? <laughs> Where your spirit was like, Yes! but you couldn't follow through? Have you ever been there? Have you ever done that? Have you ever felt that? Well, if you can, then, then you can connect with this story. Or similarly, the, the, the crowd on that day, on the first Palm Sunday, was shouting really loud, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed are you, Jesus, who come in the name of the Lord! But you just read the story a little bit farther, and that adoring crowd quickly turns within days. So can you relate to that? Have have you ever betrayed someone? Or have you ever been betrayed? See, that's one way that we can find ourselves in these stories. And if we can, then we can connect even deeper with these stories. It's just one way that I'm inviting us to connect with this story that unfolds during Holy Week, the week of Jesus, the week before Jesus' crucifixion. So we're going to do kind of a, something different for us. Uh, we're going to sort of do a liturgy sort of deal. And for some of us, that's a foreign word. Um, and some, one definition for liturgy is it means the work of the people, which is kind of the idea of what we're doing today. It's going to reflect how I want us to engage and spend our time this morning on this journey to the cross. I don't want us to just be listening only, but I want us to, to engage, um, not as just an audience, but, but as a participant in your own heart. So there is work, the work of the people. There is work that we will do in this because I'm going to ask you to ponder some questions and maybe even write some things to help you process. Um, and this isn't so different. This is what we do at communion is too, right? We, we engage in the process. We, we move. That's why we have you come forward. That's why we have you receive a blessing from our servers. We enter into worship. Because uh, when you come here, you're not just consuming a show, you're not just being entertained at a concert, we're inviting you to enter in, and so the sermon's going to have some elements of that as well, so the handout that you have will serve maybe as a little bit of a guide for you as we go. And as we look here, um, what we're going to do is going to be three different movements. We're going to look at Palm Sunday and Holy Week, and we're going to do this in three movements or three acts. And for each movement, what I'll do is I'll tell the story, I'll reflect a bit, I'll ask us to then, in silence, um, or, or just on your page there, to ponder some of these questions. And then the entering in part will be that we'll do a reading or a song, and that will be our work, our engaging together piece as well. So just to help you with an outline if you need it, um, the three movements are Palm Sunday, we'll tell that part of the story, then we'll reflect and engage, we'll respond. Second one will be Holy Week, same kind of deal. And then third I'm calling a glimpse 
of grace, which looks at the grace over all of these events. Um, so I'll, again, I'll tell the story, offer some teaching, and then we'll respond. <clears throat> Anybody confused still? Yeah, so that's okay. Well, here we go anyway. Here we go. So, into our first movement here at Holy Week. It all begins with the one word, the word we've been singing, Hosanna. Shouts of Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the crowd on that Sunday was shouting very loudly, Blessed are you, Jesus, who come in the name of the Lord. And the people in the crowd were out of their mind with excitement. Like, finally, this Jesus they'd been hearing about had come, and, and, and the Messiah they had been long expecting and waited for was here. Here he comes. It's a huge holiday. It's Passover. Everybody's wanting to be where they are in Jerusalem. And I'm sure that the crowd there, I'm sure the crowd especially the louder that they shouted, the more convinced they all became about who they thought Jesus was and what they thought he would do. And what they thought he would do was what they wanted him to do. It was to overthrow the Roman government who'd been ruling them. What they wanted him to do was to make everything right, politically, economically, socially, to make everything right. So they shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, he will make things right. He will make things right in our land. He will make things right in our marriages. He will make things right in, in our church. He will make things right in our home. So they sang, Hosanna to the son of David, because they wanted him to know that they believed in him. They wanted him to know, hey, Jesus, we're, we're with you. And so what they did is they spread out garments in the road. They laid down palm branches. It was a powerfully significant act. It wasn't just a random thing. It was a way of honoring the incoming king. And they knew this was to fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament as well. The whole idea was, in, it was connected to the making of a king. It was rooted in tradition. It was rooted in scripture and rooted in the prophecies about the Messiah. And so picture yourself there, everyone in the crowd, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, everyone knew what this whole palm and garments thing meant. They knew what they were doing when they took off their garments and, and took branches and laid them before him on the road and lined the road with these branches. This was an act of submission, submission to who they thought was king, to who they wanted to be king. They were saying, in effect, we are submitting to you, we are swearing allegiance to you and declaring you king were laying branches in the road and palms as well. So they knew what they were doing. This act of submission, subjecting themselves to Jesus as king, saying we declare you as king, we submit to you Jesus, was also an act of rebellion. It was an act of rebellion against Rome. It was actually very dangerous for them to be doing this. It was punishable by death. So the truth is, despite what they're about to do a few days later, they really did believe Jesus was a king, was their king. And I'm sure it couldn't have been more clear to them on that Palm Sunday over 2,000 years ago. They could not have been more sure about who they thought Jesus was and what they expected him to do as king. And, and what they wanted him to do was not a bad thing. They wanted him to make everything right particularly with Rome, under whose foot they lived, under whose rule they endured and suffered. And they were thinking, well, Jesus, when he's finally king, we will then rule again. We will finally be on top. He will make us healthy. He will make us wealthy. He will give us influence and power. So come on, King Jesus, Hosanna. 
And the word Hosanna simply means in Hebrew, save us. So they're crying out, save us now. We'll crown you as king. We'll sing your praise. Just, just make things right the way we want them to be right. But the problem is when they discovered that he was not going to save them the way they wanted to be saved, the crowd would do what crowds often do. The crowd turned on him. And their song would begin to change. And, and in just a few days, the same people who cried, blessed is he, would shout, crucify him. Which kind of changes their hosanna. Really cheapens it, doesn't it? That's raising the question that marks the end of this first movement. The question is, can you find yourself in this part of the journey of the cross where, where your expectation um, or, or what you demand of Jesus hasn't been met. The king you thought you wanted that he was going to be, what he was going to do didn't happen. And even so, will you stay with him in this part of the story? When, when the crowd begins to turn, will we turn as well or will we stay with him? Now to the gate of my Jerusalem, the seething holy city of my heart, the Savior comes. But will I welcome him? Oh, crowds of easy feelings make a start. They raise their hands, get caught up in the singing, and think the battle won. Too soon they'll find the challenge. The reversal he is bringing changes their tune. I know what lies behind the surface flourish that so quickly fades, self-interest and fearful guardedness. The hardness of the heart, it barricades, and at the core, the dreadful emptiness of a perverted temple. Jesus, come disrupt my resistance and make me your home. Please stand for the reading of scriptures. O Lord, save us, we pray. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. You are our God, and we will praise you. You are our God, and we will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And so we pray together. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting, for the Lord God helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint 
and I know I will not be put to shame. The one who vindicates me is near. And being reviled, he reviled not again. And though he suffered, he uttered no threats, but kept on entrusting himself to the one who rightly judges the living and the dead. And so we say together, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You may be seated. So Palm Sunday, we now have a picture of where we are in this journey to the cross. And as we transition into our second movement, we have the context for the rest of this story. See, what had happened is Jesus had entered Jerusalem, come through this parade of, of praise and adoration, this kingly coronation, and our invitation in this movement remains the same as it did in the first. Can we find ourselves in this part of the story, and will we stay with him as this part of the story of the journey to the cross unfolds? So in Holy Week, it was amazing this week, and it was scary as well. It was chaotic. It was confusing. There were, there were expressions of profound love coupled with acts of betrayal. And on the same day, just like real life. So from Palm Sunday, we move to Monday, and that very next day, Jesus enters the temple. And I don't have time to tell the whole story, but as he enters the temple... Jesus became furious with the way that the temple was being misused and abused, how, how the poor and disadvantaged folks were being taken advantage of by unscrupulous religious people. So this Monday, that's the day, some of us have heard the story before, but we're never sure exactly in the story, but this is where Jesus overturns the tables in the temple courts. It's here that Jesus really begins to mess things up. And I think that if you and I were one of Jesus' followers or friends or disciples, when Jesus pulls this stunt, wouldn't you have to wonder, like, did he have to spoil the party? And he, did, did he have to do it so quickly? Like, we had the people. They were with us. They'd been shouting, Hosanna, just yesterday. Did he have to go and cause this scene? Was, was Jesus looking for a fight? Because see, what Jesus did is he goes into the temple, he turns over the tables, he scatters money and birds and animal stuff is flying everywhere, it's chaotic, it's confusing, and the religious leaders take offense of this, and this might have been exactly what sealed his fate, and from that moment on, they sought to kill him because they hated him so and then later this same day, it's still Monday, right? This is where Mary Magdalene comes to Jesus, this profound act of love and devotion. She comes with this costly bottle of perfume, and she anoints him with it. She breaks open the bottle, literally pouring it on his head, and then she uses it to wash his feet, this incredibly expensive ointment. I'm thinking it might even have been uncomfortable to watch this, just washing his feet with this expensive ointment and then drying his feet with her, her hair. But this was an expression of love. And whether we understand it or not, it was an extravagant, over-the-edge expression of honor and devotion. 
But Jesus' disciples, they were indignant about this. After Mary had anointed Jesus, they came to Jesus. The disciples were upset about the wastefulness of of using something so costly to simply pour out over him. They they said that money could have been given to the poor. And they probably wanted Jesus to confront Mary for this colossal waste of money. Because an alabaster jar of perfume was an expensive thing to pour out like this. But it was an extravagant expression of her love. So even as we're wondering how we might connect this part of the story, let me ask you a question. Have you ever given a sacrificial gift like this? Have you ever poured it all out for the sake of love? Or... Is it always measured what we give away? Is it always strategic? Is it always reasonable what we give to the people that we love? Is it always affordable what we give away? Back in the Old Testament, this this whole scene makes me think about uh, King David. Um, King David knew that he needed to offer a sacrifice to God, and so a man hears what he needs to offer And not only offers to provide the sacrifice for King David, but the wood, the land, the whole deal. And I've always been struck by by what David said in refusing this man's help on, on this particular one. David said, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. So have you ever been there, given like that, loved like that? Well, then you're in the story. So, Monday, this incredible act of love, and we move to Tuesday, a betrayal is conceived by one of his own. Jesus would be betrayed with a kiss. Have you, have you ever been there? Maybe you've been betrayed by feigned love, but have you ever betrayed another? Or have you ever feigned love for someone? Have you ever betrayed love or been betrayed by someone else, then maybe that's where you are in this story, this journey to the cross. See, it's a, it's a pretty human story, actually. And that was Tuesday. And while Wednesday, at least in the text, is silent day, it's, there's nothing recorded, on Thursday, Judas does what he had planned to do, and he betrays Jesus at the end of that day with a kiss. So in Holy Week, Thursday is a betrayal day. Not only, by the way, not only Judas Iscariot, but but Peter would deny Jesus and all of his disciples would flee, scattering, running as Jesus was arrested and taken away. And then we come to Friday. Near the end of the week, we call Holy Week. And on Friday, the crowd that on Sunday had been singing, Hosanna! was now shouting out, crucify him, crucify. And here at the end of what we're calling our second movement, I think it's appropriate for us to pause and just sit in this scene with those same questions, but to do this in silence for a minute. The question again is, will we stay with Jesus on this part of the journey to the cross? And where do we find ourselves in the story? Pouring it out or betraying or maybe being betrayed? Let's spend some silence here.
And now to this third movement, which we will call a glimpse of grace, which I think is something we really need in order to prepare ourselves as this Holy Week we move towards Good Friday when we will gather here Friday night at 6.30 to focus in on the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. But especially in this part of the journey to the cross, I think we need to look for and see the grace in all of this. See, the entire story from beginning to end, from start to finish, it's, it's all about grace. It is full of grace, amazing grace. In fact, from Genesis into Revelation and on into our day, this story is a story of grace. And during Holy Week, on that Thursday, John 13, we get a glimpse of that grace. In fact, this is the story we kicked this whole Lenten journey off with, uh, this journey to the cross five weeks ago. We looked at this example of Jesus who, precisely because he was God, not in spite of, but because he was God, he became a servant and showed us the way to live, to love, not by dominating or having power over others, but by offering love and service. He used what we call power under. And Jesus began what we called the fellowship of the towel by taking up a servant's towel. And so the context of the story here that we're going to look at in John 13 is the Last Supper. Again, it's Thursday of Holy Week. Jesus has gathered his closest friends, and this Last Supper, on this very night, um, the night he was betrayed, this is where the communion table is instituted. So now you have that picture in your mind. John 13, verse 1, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And pause right there, knowing all that Jesus knew, knowing that Judas would betray him, that Peter would deny him, and that the rest of them would, in hours from now, desert him and flee, knowing that his time has come and he's about to go to the cross, in the context of that, he does this most extraordinary thing. Pick up the next verse. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And we look at this example of Jesus, who precisely because he was God, became a servant, showed us again the way to will, to love, to live, not by dominating, not by power over. But Jesus began the fellowship of the towel by taking up a servant's towel. But again, remember the context of the story. Remember their expectations, his disciples even. Hosanna, blessed is he, was still ringing in their ears. They were close to him, and they were all expecting a king to reign and rule and kick out the oppressors to be the kind of king they expected him to be, to make right the things they wanted him to make right, a king. Jesus takes up a towel. I mean, there's profound implications in all of this, symbolic meaning in all of this. 
Because for Jesus to take off his garment and put on a towel and kneel at their feet and then to take that towel to dry their feet after he washed their feet, I'm sorry, but he looks like a slave, not a king. He looks like a slave because that's what servants do. And the point there is he certainly doesn't look like a king because that's not what kings do. Kings don't take up a towel. They wear royal robes. They don't bow down. People bow down to them. They don't serve. They have others who serve them. Kings don't do the work of slaves. They have slaves. Next verse. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? No, no, you shall never wash my feet. And, you know, I think one of the reasons for Peter's reaction was this. Peter was thinking, he's saying, no, 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 come on, Jesus, like, you've got an image to keep up here. This work is beneath you as the king, so get up. Stop bowing down and acting like our slave. Start acting like a king. And, you know, maybe Peter just like you and just like me. Maybe Peter wanted a different kind of king. And he certainly wanted a different kind of kingdom. (laughs) One where we would get to wear the royal robes, not have to wear servants' towels. One where we wouldn't do the serving, but that we would be the ones who get served. A A kind of kingdom where we get bowed down to, not where we would be doing the bowing. See, because here's the problem in their mind and honestly in ours. Jesus didn't look like a king. He looked like a, like a slave, like a naked slave. And like, how is a naked slave going to help us win? See, Jesus shows us the grace of what true strength and true power looks like. It's not about power over others. It's about power under, about loving and serving, and this is amazing grace. The other glimpse I want to offer from this story is another important detail of what happened right in this scene here in the Last Supper. It's actually in Luke 22 where this detail is given. It's a piece of the puzzle which I think helps us really see some crucial parts of the story. So so just prior to this episode, I told you about where Jesus washes his feet and shows his disciples that the true king is a servant of all. We get this bonus detail in Luke 22 of what happened during the meal together. And I actually think this would kind of be funny if it wasn't so pathetic. Um, The disciples, at this beautiful moment in history now, they didn't know back then that it was going to be something we keep talking about, um, but they break into a fight, right? We think about, like, communion and celebrating. They, they had a fight right there. Um, they have this huge argument about one of their favorite topics. Who would be the greatest among them? See, they thought Jesus is going to be king. Well, then I get to be, you know, vice whatever, okay? Um, I mean, can you picture this? Like, this is what happens right before Jesus stops the whole thing and washes their feet. They're like, they're just bickering little kids. Like, can you believe this? When I think about it long enough, actually, it's a little bit um, of a relief, you know? Like, okay, these disciples who lived face-to-face with Jesus, they couldn't get it right, so any wonder that I can't always get it right. Um, 
But, but here's the glimpse of grace, I think. Um, you see, it was... Right in the middle of their bickering, their arguing. In the middle of their pride and arrogance, their, their power-hungry blindness to what was going on, right in the middle of that, that's where Jesus strips down to a towel and takes the posture of a servant. It was right in the middle of their bickering, right in the middle of Jesus already knowing that they were going to betray him in just a few hours. It was precisely in that scene, when they were at their worst, and right there at that ugly moment, Jesus takes up a towel, pours water into a basin, and begins to wash their feet when they were at their worst. See, that's amazing grace. So the question comes one final time. Will we stay with Jesus on this part of the journey to the cross? And can you find yourself in this story, maybe even seeing where you stand in need of that kind of amazing grace? The royal banners go forward. The cross shines forth in mystic glow. Where he, as a man who gave man breath, now bows beneath the yoke of death. Please stand for the reading of the scriptures. You see, it was just at the right time when when we were still powerless, that Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 6 through 8. And so we say together, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he Christ Jesus, our Lord, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the very nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 5 through 10. And so we say together, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It is right to praise you, Almighty God, for the acts of love by which you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. On this day you entered into the holy city of Jerusalem in triumph and were proclaimed as King of Kings by those who spread the garments along the way and branches of palm along your way. Grant that 
We who bear your name may ever hail you as our king and follow you in the way that leads to life. And so we say together, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You may be seated. So we come to the end of our third movement. And on our way to Good Friday, where we will come back here 6.30 this Friday night, let's carry these questions with us throughout Holy Week and maybe even look for other places in the scripture to connect our hearts, our story with the events of of what is happening. And, And let's continue to ask ourselves, will we continue to stay with Jesus on this part of the journey to the cross, which in some ways is like asking, what is it in me that needs to die? What is it in you that needs to die in order for us to come to life? And after Jesus demonstrated all these things and washed his disciples' feet, you know the story if you've been to church very often. (laughs) He took bread right in the context of their meal together, and he held it up, he broke it, blessed it, said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he held it up, he blessed it. He said, this cup is the new covenant, which means promise, the new promise, which is in my blood for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And so will you stand as we close our time of...